So yes, we are beginning this series, which I've just called Worth Fighting For, Jude. It is a book uh, that um, not many people, it's dead easy to go through. In fact, we could read it in about five minutes here. Um, but it's a, a book that packs a real punch, thus I've put those boxing gloves up there. It's not a cliche, it's the it's truth. This book will challenge us. This book will cause us to really have to get our noses into Scripture and examine our heart to ask ourselves, are we following Jesus? Are we being obedient to all his commandments and therefore being known as his disciples? That's what Jude could possibly offer us as we take our time. Today it was my intention to go through four verses, but I only got to two of them. So um, we'll see how long this sermon series goes on, and I may jump about all over the place, although I will be referring to a lot in Jude as, as we go on. I think I'll just read it. You okay with this? Let's read it all. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. I'm going to explore that today. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered the people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep the positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment in the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They served as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. And what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain, they have rushed for profit into Balaam's error, and they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along the wind, autumn trees without fruit, and uprooted twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackened, blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict, to convict all the ungodly of the ungodly acts that they've done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, remember what the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and who do not have the spirit 
but your dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy, fixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. We're going to have fun in the book of Jude. Romans 8, 12, 18 says this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In Jesus, in Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 34, says this. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. We know that we're called to be peacemakers. If we are disciples of Jesus Christ and we follow him, then we know we are called to be peacemakers. And yet, there are some things that are worth fighting for. Some people in here may have taken the oath to fight for queen and country or for your own nation. I sent a little message to some of the court, or to all the court team and to my small group and I simply asked them this question, what is one thing worth fighting for? And there was lots of responses and lots of similar responses but I've bulked them together in this. It's worth fighting for family. It's worth fighting for God's kingdom and ways. It's worth fighting for love and acceptance. And it's worth fighting for the truth of the kingdom. They were the things that your leaders in some of my small group get back to me and says, this is what is worth fighting for as peacemakers. Jude undoubtedly says there are some things that are worth fighting for. In fact, he says in verse 3 that... He encourages them. The reason for writing to them, his reasons initially were different, but once he heard about what was going on, to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. That's like for us in QP, sitting under the ministry of Edwin Gunn and Jeff Grogan, who was a principal of Glasgow Bible College, amongst other things. We saw in those men of God something that inspired. We saw the Spirit of God free and able to move. We saw weak leadership. We saw strong leadership. We saw them with their wives and their families. And they passed the baton on to us. Likewise, we pray for Kira to pass the baton on. And to Judah and to Lachlan and to Luca as they're baptized in three weeks' time. Contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints, the ancient faith, the tried and tested faith. That is the reason for Jude writing to this church. 
So we're called to fight. We're giving uh, language that is about war and is about battle. You may ask, don't we follow a saviour who describes himself, and he does, as gentle and humble in heart? It's a contradiction all over the place. Well, the problem is, we may think that that's what Jesus is like in all situations and contexts, and it is not. Some of us think that Jesus would never uh, lift his voice, that Jesus would never intentionally call out someone. We look at historical paintings and Jesus looks effeminate. And Jesus just looks as if he is not in the real world. As if, as if butter wouldn't melt in Jesus' mouth. You know that Robert Powell, Jesus who never blinks, he just doesn't seem real. And he moves slowly and he does certain signs. Some people have that idea of Jesus. However, he was contentious. He overturned the tables in the temple. My house will be for a house of prayer for all nations. Not just for the few, but for all nations. And he made a whip and he chased them out there. That's Jesus meek and mild. And when he accused the leaders of being a brood of vipers, when he accused them of being whitewashed tombs with dead men's bones and corruption, when he says to the leaders, you belong to your father, the devil. And even when Peter tried to object to Jesus going to the cross, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. It's this side of Jesus that believers often ignore and that Jude brings to us with real power. Jude brings us Jesus with backbone. And that's what we're going to explore over these weeks. Jude doesn't squirm away from the fight. He calls a spade a spade. Jude can says that we should contend against godless men, against dreamers, whom in verse 12 he describes as blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are like clouds without rain, promise so much, big and beautiful and, and fat, and, and, but they offer nothing. They're simply blown along by the wind, whatever is popular. Such people who sit at our love feasts, who are all cool and trendy and happy, are simply blown about and change their mind. They're autumn trees, but without fruit. And they're uprooted. Such people, Judah contends, they are twice dead. And in 13 he says, there is wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame they're like wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved for them. Jude doesn't like these people. Interestingly, Jude never names these people in other epistles. You'll see some of the, at the end beware such and such. This is what this person has done to me. Be careful with them. You don't see that in Jude. He, there is lots of them and us language throughout this. 
And as Christians, we don't like that. Um, we take Jesus' prayer really to heart that we should be one. But the danger is we are one with people who do not share the faith that's been passed down. And what happens is we are at the danger of, of corruption, of compromise, because we love this idea of unity, unity, unity. There was apparent unity in this church. People sitting at love feasts, saying lots of great things. But Jude could see right through them. He'd heard the, the rumors. And he called a spade a spade. Why? Just to be a problem for the very soul of the church. In fact, in verse 13, he states that the blackest darkness has been reserved forever for them. This is just a nice way of saying they're going to hell. Again, something that we don't like to speak about often. More, much more palatable is annihilation theory that everyone who doesn't choose Jesus in the end will just not exist because we can't bring our minds round to the idea that a loving God would be content with someone whom he has created spending an eternity in the blackest darkness forever. These are hard things to wrestle with, but they're in Scripture, so we must. Now you may be thinking here, <laughs> put my boiled sweeties away here, this is harsh. But Jude is just echoing what Jesus says. Jude is just echoing what Jesus, who is described as meek and mild, says in Matthew 8, verse 12, 22, 13, and 25, 30. And Jesus describes hell as utter blackness. And if you can imagine, and I don't know how to imagine this, and I'm not going to focus a lot on hell, I'm just, this is a wee aside. We often have the image of hell as fire, because there's lots of descriptions of that inscription Jesus uses himself. But here's the awfulness of it, the fire that produces no light, because it is an utter darkness. Utter darkness reserved for them. Godless men, dreamers, blemishes at your love feast, shepherds who feed only themselves, clouds without rain, trees without fruit, wild waves of the sea and the wandering stars who are among you, who are polluting you. I, I want to say right at the beginning here, this won't be a turning to the person to your left and your right. You need to guard your heart. Um, you need to test your heart. We need renewal in our heart. Renewal in our heart. You may call it revive, why I call it renewal. So that we may take serious the words of Christ and then by doing that, be known as his disciples. And not turn to your brother and sister to your left or right. And think, well, I'm better than them. Jude thinks this is all worth fighting for. And that's what we're going to look just with two points from these two verses. We've been called to fight 
and therefore we need to be sure what to fight for. We need to make certain that we've identified that God has said, this is what you're to fight for. Don't get sidetracked with the thing that you're, it's your hobby horse or, or sidetracked with what is trendy or whatever. Fight for, discern and know what my will is and fight for that. Stay on that narrow road. Don't waver. Go through the narrow gate. So in verse 1, I see a couple of things that I'd like to These are often words that we just skim over when we're looking at Scripture. It's the introduction. It's like, dear John, and you move on to the the main body of the text. There's so much here. I think Jude is intentional. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God, the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. I want to say here, as possible last time I'll say it, Jude, um, another, Jude is like calling Robert Bobby or Bob. The full name of Jude is Judas, Judas. This is the letter of Judas, which I find quite interesting where he's talking about apostasy all the way through it, and his name's Judas. And we'll come to who he is in a minute. But this is the book of Judas that we are reading here. But somewhere down the line, and for obvious reasons because of Judas Iscariot, they decided they were going to abbreviate it. More palatable. People may take it more seriously. I don't know what the reasons were. But this is the book of Judas. Here's the first thing. Jude This is what's fighting for, and this is a very big determining factor for Jude. He's a servant of Jesus Christ, and he's a brother of James. And we're going to take these in reverse order. And so the first thing is, what does this tell us about him, that he's the the brother of James? Well, this is a faith that he is, uh, his faith in his resurrected Savior. Stay with me here. How did I get to this? Um, who is Jude? He um, he's not uh, an apostle. He was not one of the original twelve. He's the um, so he's not the um, any of the twelve because in Acts um, I'm going to leave that. So I'm looking at time and I'm thinking. Jesus had four brothers four half-brothers. And these half-brothers, one being Jude, didn't initially believe in Jesus. Something important with this. So right at the beginning, Jude says he is a servant of Jesus, but he's the brother of James. Now, why is he half-brother? It's obvious. Jesus was conceived uh, to Mary by the Holy Spirit. Joseph was not his dad. Joseph was his stepdad, or however you would describe it. And yet Mary went on to have many more children, at least two daughters and four sons. So Jude, right at the beginning, in identifying himself, says that he is not the brother of Jesus, not the half-brother of Jesus. He says, I'm the brother of James. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6, would you? Keep your finger on Jude. Mark chapter 6. Just to, to see a little account. In verse 3, 
Jesus, verse 1, Jesus left there, went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he came to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things from, they says? What is this wisdom that's been given him? And he even does miracles. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us also? And they took offense at him. So there you see that Jesus' family came to see him and were identified. Came from a big, big family. But here's the significance that leads us to our first clue of what kind of faith is worth fighting for. They never believed in him. John chapter 7, verse 1 to 5, you'll see that his brothers categorically thought Jesus was off his head, didn't believe in him. Um, came to rescue him, if memory serves me right. They'd, they'd, they'd seen the miracles, they'd heard the stories, they'd been under his teaching, they'd watched his life, and yet they, they were not one of the followers. They were not one of the twelve or one of the band at this point who went around uh, following Jesus wherever he was uh, through um, Israel. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul speaks of, of Jesus and the resurrection, of how he appeared to the 12 and then to over 500, and then he appeared to James. So at this point, Jesus' half-brother James sees him, and therefore, you must, because he went on to become the leader of the early church, you must therefore believe that James came to faith having seen the resurrected Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 1, 12 to 14, again the resurrected Jesus, he appears to the 12, to Mary, to the women, and James's brothers are waiting in the upper room for the Holy Spirit. It describes all of Jesus's, James's brothers, so the other three were waiting, having seen the resurrected Jesus, waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. So despite all the healings, despite all the miracles, despite Jesus' life, despite all of that teaching, they didn't believe at all that Jesus was who he says he is. And I want to throw this one in here, it comes to mind. Therefore, do not give up on your family. Do not give up on your loved ones who have watched you for years, who you prayed for for years, and still do not believe. This is the experience of Jesus. They did not believe until the resurrection. Jesus' brothers didn't believe until they saw Jesus. And once they saw Jesus, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon believed. Jesus was the Messiah, and they followed him. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. He's identifying himself as a brother of James. As one of those brothers of that upper room who waited for the Holy Spirit because they had met the resurrected Jesus. That was so foundational to Jude's faith. So foundational to his life in following Jesus. So foundational in terms of what to fight for. He believed in the resurrected Jesus. He had saw the proof. But also... I should have done all that. He believed in a sovereign Lord. He describes himself as a servant, as doulos, Greek. And that simply means slave. We know, we heard that word many times. What is a slave? Well, a slave is someone who owns nothing and is subject to his master. 
Jude says here, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. He is my master. He is my Lord in all things. And note, he never says, and he's my big brother. His identity was not based on the fact that Jesus was his big brother through Mary. His identity was based on Jesus is resurrected and he is my sovereign Lord. I will follow him and do whatever he says. I will, in fact, be a slave in all of my life to him. As an example to you, church. And apart from forgiveness, apart from new life, apart from eternal life, there are many benefits of being a slave to Jesus, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. God calls us to himself, God sets us apart for himself, and God protects us by himself. God calls them to himself, sets them apart for himself, and God protects us by himself. Latch on to that word kept. If you flick to the end of Jude, there's a book in there, right in the doxology, to him who's able to keep you. So to those who've been called, who are loved by God and kept by Jesus Christ, you've got a book in there. We are kept. Our world, our culture is a scary place. The many cultures within our society are very much coming against what we believe. The faith is once entrusted to the saints, handed down to us. You go into our culture and even try and engage with the identity uh, topic just now. You'll be shot down in an absolute moment. Who are you to speak into this situation? You're a white, heterosexual, uh, middle-aged, slightly balding, uh, slightly overweight man. And what they do is they try and shut you down. It's very difficult. And we feel as if we're in a war we keep our head down. Don't stick your head up over the parapets. I would encourage you to stay away from Twitter. That's just mental. But even in our family conversations, even in the pub, I was out with footballers and, and Friday night ex-footballers and we touched on politics for one minute and suddenly it was shut down because they were f afraid to have a genuine conversation about politics without falling out. Imagine if we would then went on to hot potato of today. What about trans people? Wow, the conversation would have been scary. And I know they'd have looked at me and, what do I say in that situation? Do I just try and dodge it? Or do I try and speak grace as I have received grace into that situation? What I'm trying to get out here is, is a war we're in. There's a battle out there. A battle over language. A battle over how you think. A battle over how, what you speak. Even a battle over what you type in your computer. It's scary but latch on to that word kept. We are being kept. Do not fear. The battle has been won. You're in a battle and the king, his heart has been thrown into the center and he says, follow me. As you have received grace, come and bring grace, but speak truth. I, I think I, I'm touching a nerve here because we all know the situations. try to speak graciously into a discussion and before you know it there's flaming arrows beginning to fly like there's no tomorrow 
So we duck. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. And also, isn't it great that as disciples of Jesus Christ, in this battle, in this war, contending for the things that are worth fighting for, have been promised mercy, peace, and love in abundance. Don't miss that. That is yours. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Now, as we are in a battle, as we are contending for the soul of the church and the soul of many people who do not yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior and the transforming power of his Holy Spirit and new life and a hope for the future. Becoming like him, not a clone of other people in church, but becoming like him, Jesus, little Christ, that's our calling. Where we agree with Jude that we are a servant of Jesus Christ and we're brothers and, with brothers and sisters in Pitlochry Baptist Church. I'm going to stop there because it's one of the uh, million things come into my mind and I promised myself I wouldn't go off piste. I'm going to explore a lot of good things in the next number of weeks. And next week's communion service, so it'll be communion and prayer. But in the weeks afterwards, we're going to just allow this to speak into our lives. Jude began as a half-brother of Jesus, but when he met the resurrected Savior, he believed in him, he trusted in him, that Jesus is sovereign and Lord of his life. I grew up in Ardennes, the son of Tommy and Ray Barry, at the age of 15, I met the resurrected Jesus. And now I have been called to follow him all the days of my life and dwell in the house of the Lord forever taking captive every thought for him. Even though the world is trying to squeeze me into his mold, and I need, just as Kira has needed us, I need my brothers and sisters in Christ to contend alongside me. I pass the baton on to my family, to my children, and say, go and run the race. It is won. There will be battles. You will come out bruised, but follow the heart of the king into where the lost people are. There is a faith that Jude said that's worth fighting for. And it's a faith worth living for. Let's pause for a few minutes. I've said a lot. In fact, I don't know what I've said. But let's pause. In silence, Lord, may there be something that's of you in all of this. Our King, we look to you, who has overcome and who sits now at the right hand of the Father in glory and intercedes on our behalf. Lord, have mercy on us. Pardon and forgive us. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation and renew a right spirit within us. My King's a king of the giants, my king's the king of the lions, my king's the king of the creatures of the deep, my king's the king of me. Amen.